Well, Rick's exciting to be here tonight. Uh, I have to be honest with you, we're a little chilly. Honduras is in the tropics. We've been there and there 20 years, and it tonight, for example, we had a, today we had a high of 80 and a low of 68. So um, I'm trying to get used to this six degree high weather you're having. Uh, it's it's enjoyable to experience once or twice a year, but uh, I'm praise the Lord I don't live here. No, I I'm I'm so. <laughs> I am so glad to be here. Uh, I have a kind of an unusual, unusual testimony. I don't have time to go into all that tonight. I was actually born in Louisiana, uh, grew up in a military home, and finally settled down in the Seattle-Tacoma area, uh, where I claim that as home just because that's where I spent my high school years, and, uh, and it's just a joy to see what God has done uh, there in, in the world through missions. And uh, Tonight, we just wanted to encourage you. Uh, Jesus said in, in, in Matthew chapter number nine, look, Look under the fields. Say not that is four months and then the harvest. Lift up your eyes for the fields are white already under harvest. Let me tell you what, there's a harvest being done in, in several parts of the world tonight, not just in Honduras. And, and, and one of the things we, can, we have as believers is we have a worldview that is very different. We can see the world. We don't just see our lives. And if you just see your lives and you just have your kind of your head down and looking at your own personal surroundings, you can get really discouraged. If your eyes are set on just the major news sources of the day, it doesn't take but five minutes to get depressed. <laughs> but let me tell you, people are becoming to know Christ as their Savior today across the world. A week prior to uh, going coming back from the states to the United to uh, coming back to the United States from Honduras. Uh, just for example, we had the chance in one day, we visited four public schools and one private school. And, and we had 80 different opportunities to share the gospel with students in, in organized sessions. Over 1,200 students in one day got to hear the gospel. And I praise the Lord for opportunities like that that are still available today. I praise the Lord that in 2008, God opened the door to the Presidential Honor Guard. And we had the privilege of, uh, we started a church in, in the town of Ohohona. Now, it's kind of a weird name. Sounds like Christmas, Ohohona. Sounds like something Santa Claus would say. But it was a little mountain, mountain town of about 8,000 people and kind of wondering why God had called us there. But God called us there to reach one man. Now, we praise the Lord. There is a church there, the Light of the World Baptist Church, but that one man, his name is Ruben Zelaya. He happens to be the electrician to the president, the only electrician the president has ever had. Honduras has changed presidents, but they've never changed electricians. <laughs> he snuck into the military, the Honduran military, when he was 16. They trained him in electrical work, and then they assigned him to the presidential honor guard. And so when he got out as a mili as military personnel, he became a civilian and was adopted into that position permanently. And he came up to me one day and he said, Pastor Jason, I, I, I have a question. I need you to help me at my job. I was like, I can't help you. I'm not an electrician. I just don't put my finger in the socket. That's all I know about electricity. He said, no. I said, my boss, the commandant of the military wants you to come and preach. I said, what? There's nobody else in the cabinet. It's an hour and a half hour drive. I mean, I'm going to have to leave at four in the morning to go and preach there. He said, yeah, that, the Catholics don't want it because there's no prestige in it. The Pentecostals don't want it because there's no salary. But I said, my pastor will do it. 
So since 2008, we've had the privilege of preaching every Thursday morning to any soldier that wants to come and hear the gospel. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you, I know today, yesterday was Veterans Day. You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, sometimes enlisted men and officers don't show much emotion. Uh, my first time preaching to the military, there was 12 in the, in the dining hall. They, they said, you can use the dining hall. Here's a little pulpit. You can use that. You can preach. You can do your service. There's 12 soldiers, each one with their machine gun in their arms. <laughs> you guys are not a tough crowd. <laughs> that was a tough crowd. I say one thing, and I'm going to get buried, and nobody will care. But uh, the Lord bless, and today, in, as you've seen the pictures, in between 50 and 60 soldiers, including officers, come. And many a time I've had the, ch the privilege of going literally right next across the hall from the president's office to have breakfast with the lieutenant colonel, who is a believer, and he's opened the door even wider than we've ever seen it to get the gospel to the soldiers. And so we've used that in, in different ways. And, and honestly, we've used that kind of as leverage too to help minister in our local town and go into that later. Uh, as we look back at what God is doing in Honduras, we see an open and effectual door in Central America. In El Salvador, visiting a, a, another ministry, of a, another missionary there in El Salvador, we were invited by, because of our status with the Presidential Honor Guard, got invited to the National Police of El Salvador. And the chaplain, chaplain over all 26 regions of the country invited us to come and see the headquarters of the police. When we got there, he said, you know, we need to get the gospel to all the police in El Salvador. There's 61,000 in between civilians and a police personnel there. And right now we've got three or four churches working on designing uh, Bible covers and, and we're sending in two containers full of scriptures in the next year just for the police of El Salvador. We're going to go in and we're going to, they, they've given us free reign to go to every single precinct, precinct in the country of El Salvador and give the gospel to every single officer and civilian that work there. And so pray for that project, please. But God, is there's an open door, not just in Honduras, not just in El, but in different parts of the world. And we're just here tonight to say thank you for your missions giving. Thank you for your supporting missionaries around the world because souls are being saved daily because of the ministry of Cornerstone Baptist Church. And we're thankful for the power that gospel ministry can produce. And that's honestly, that's what we want to have. We want to have a powerful ministry. Not the, if you turn to your Bibles, Acts chapter 17, that's where we're going to be kind of tonight in the brief amount of time we have. In Acts chapter number 17. Now I'm going to have to be honest with you, I'm kind of awkward tonight. Normally I'm try, I try to be nice and fluid, but uh, as we've been traveling, I smacked my head on something and broke my glasses. So I'm trying to use greeting glasses for this... I am getting old, Pastor. I am. Um, I'm losing my hair, if you haven't noticed. But in Acts chapter 17, I'm going to do this the best I can. We're going to read verses number 1 through number 9. The Bible says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, uh, Amphipolis, I can't even pronounce that word, it's not in Spanish, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, 
and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and with Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. When they had found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they, were tr and they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. I, when I look at this and I, and I read the phrase in verse number six, these that have turned the world upside down. Man, wouldn't you, wouldn't you like that to be said of you and your life and your ministry? Wouldn't you like to be said, that to be said of Cornerstone Baptist Church? These that have really turned the world upside down. You know how they turn the world upside down? People today are looking for all sorts of new fancy ways, new programs. They have church growth seminars that you can go to. You know what the common theme throughout the scriptures during this time where the Lord turned the world upside down through these believers was you can see the common theme of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Through his word. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 8, for lack of time, let me read it to you. The Bible says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and the elders of Israel. And he went on to preach. But he, the common theme is, hey, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit led them and filled them and directed them. In Acts 13, 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereon the two I have called them. Over and over and over again, we can see the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of just common, ordinary believers. The Bible says in Acts 16, 7, And when they were come to Mysia, they assailed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. You can see the, the work and the leadership of the Holy Spirit over and over and over again in the book of Acts. Now, we're not talking about the work of the Holy Spirit that televangelists would, would portray to us. The nonsense, the circus that they portray on, on, on TV and, and, and not all that nonsense. But I'm talking about the Holy Spirit using God's word to, to guide his people to do God's ministry God's way. And, and as we turn to our text in Acts chapter number 17, you find that Paul once again has a powerful ministry in the city of Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica, if you read the epistles, Paul, when he writes back to the churches after he does his missionary journeys, in all of the churches, except for Thessalonica, he has to come back and challenge them with some deficiencies. Some more than others. You've got the, city, the church of Corinth, for example. Man, 
he had to write, some people say, write up to four letters. We only have two that are inspired by God and preserved in the God's word. But those two letters are filled with just reprimand after reprimand after reprimand saying, hey, you guys are so carnal. You guys got so many problems. Where do I begin? You've got the book of Galatians written to a, a churches in the region of Galatia saying, hey, I am so surprised that you so far from falling from the, from the grave. You've, you, you have abandoned salvation by grace to go for works. Why? Makes no sense. Paul has to write the book of Galatians to correct that. Philippians, he writes from jail, but he has to, he has to mention one area. He's got to mention some disunity within the membership of that church. But if you read the two books written to the Thessalonians, there is no reprimand given at all. This is a model church. Why? I think, first of all, because of the predictability of the ministry of Paul. The predictability of the ministry of Paul. Look in verse number 2 of our text, Acts chapter 17, verse number 2. And Paul, as his manner was, nothing fancy, he did the same thing. He worked in a very predictable way. Many in the world are looking for something new. They're looking for something shiny. They're looking for something that glitters. Paul wasn't giving them anything new. Paul was just stating what the scriptures has already said. He said, he said opening and alleging that Christ must needs. He's, he, the Bible says he opened the scriptures and shared what was already written. We don't need anything new. We don't need a new gospel. We don't need new this or new that. We just need to open God's word and go back to what it says. Paul had a predictable manner of living. He was predictable. He had a predictable way of going places. He didn't just go to any podunk town. He went to the center of influence. And then he went and he looked in that center of influence. He looked for a synagogue. He looked, and you have to admit, that the Jewish people for generations, God has given and blessed them with the ability to do business. You can't go to Los Angeles without noticing all of the synagogues and all of the infrastructure that the Jewish people have donated to build, especially around uh, UCLA. Man, building after building named after the, the, a Jewish person that donated the millions of dollars to build these buildings. They've been given that. And even back in the day, th there were some very wealthy and influential people in the synagogues. And Paul would always reach out. Hey, I'm going to reach the Jew first. but And he was always rejected. But he had a way of going. He went the same pattern every time. Many people are looking for new stuff. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter number 1, verse number 9, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. That which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. Much of the religious world that we see today outside of Christianity is just nothing more than Satan's lie repackaged. Most religions are built upon a list of do's and don'ts. Do this, do this, do this, and you'll reach nirvana or paradise or whatever your heaven may be. But it all, the, the, the common ground they have is you have to do this. Even in Christian circles, 
Many Christian circles use the same tactic. Do this, do that, and do that, and you can be accepted by God. But the gospel is different. The gospel is you can't do anything. You and I are lost. I can't do anything. It's a predictable, it, it, it's a predictable message. The message is this. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. I live in Honduras. I've been there 20 years. Uh, to this day, I am not Honduran. But I've lived there 20 years. You see, I wasn't born there. Therefore, I'm not Honduran. I could live there another 20 to 30 to 40 years, and I will still not be Honduran. Now, I act Honduran sometimes. I, I speak the language. I speak Spanish. I love Honduran food. But you take me to a marketplace in any kind of village, and they will see my white skin <laughs> and my tall, I, I lord over everybody. I'm only 6'4". There's, there's some tall boys here. I don't know what you guys got in the water, but man, we don't have that in Honduras. All our people are short. But I'm still taller than the average Honduran. I'm 6'3". But you know what? They look at my stature. They look at my physical characteristics and they can, hey, you're not Honduran. We're going to charge you. And man, they'll, they, they, they'll suck it out of you. It's called getting blood out of, squeezing blood out of a tournament. They'll, they'll do that to you on the foreign people. What we do is we say to some of our church members, hey, I need to buy this and this and this. Can you go to the market for me and buy it? <laughs> They'll do that. I save a lot of money that way. Let me tell you, the same way with salvation, I, I, I could live in Honduras, I'll never, you could live in a church building and never become a Christian. You can follow all the leadership requirements Cornerstone Baptist Church has. You can get baptized in the waters. You can be a Sunday school teacher. You can do a whole lot. Of, but you know what? You cannot earn your way into heaven. Because it, in truth, Jesus did pay it all. The only way into heaven is by that predictable message. The same message Paul preached. Based in the scriptures. You can't live in power without God's word. God's truth cannot be produced in error. You can't change God's word. God's word and, and receive that power. You have to stick with a predictable message that's based on his word. 2 Peter 2, uh, 1 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, uh, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is powerful, not just in English. We praise the Lord for the God's word that's been translated into Spanish. And you know what? That, that word is powerful. It's taken men and women who, who lived life for their own selves, who lived life for the world, and has transformed their life into something worth living. Think of one of our men. His name is Pedro. Pedro, average Latin American, really short guy, skinny, stout. He, before he came to know Christ, wanted the American dream, so he went three times he came to the States illegally. Three times. They caught him twice, sent him back. He finally snuck in and got it. He made it as far as Tennessee. 
Immigration didn't catch him. But praise the Lord, there was an independent Baptist church that did. He received Christ as his Savior. I got a phone call from him, wow, way back in 2013-ish. He said, you know what, Brother Jason, I, I have a, we have a mutual friend that's an evangelist. He came through and he, I told him about my need. And he said, you need to contact Brother Jason. So I'm calling you. The need is this. I have a girlfriend and a daughter. They live in a part of Honduras that I can't get to, and they're not saved. Can you go share the gospel with them? I looked on the map, and I said, it's like a four-hour drive from my place. But you know what? I'm, we're starting a church about an hour past that. I'll, on my way home on one Friday, I'll, I'll stop by and see what I can do. So I did. I stopped by this place called Urica, tomato area, the tomato basket of Honduras is what they call it. And I met this young lady named Lourdes. She's probably in her mid-20s. And her daughter, Lisette, who was about the time, I'm thinking seven-ish, and met with her. And, and because I had Pedro as a contact, Pedro had gathered up, had asked her to bring some family members together. There was like 10 in this house, and I was just meeting with them. Just, I just want to say, say, hi, Pedro had called me to talk to you. And then I shared the gospel with them. And about five of the ladies in that room asked Christ to be their Savior that night. I was so excited. I went home. I called Brother Pedro. Hey, he said, Brother Pedro, I just want to let you know your, your girlfriend and your daughter both received Christ as their Savior. Unfortunately, I live so far away, I can't help you any further than this. But I, the good news is they're on their way to heaven, according to what their testimony is. And man, I, I hung up thinking, you know what? I'll never see these guys again. The end of the year, he calls me and says, Brother Jason, I think God's called me to become a pastor and my pastor here in Tennessee says, I have to go work with you now. I was like, well, yeah, uh, okay. A <laughs> couple things. Number one, I don't pay salaries. I don't give, I don't, that's not what we do. <laughs> but if your pastor wants you to come and work, you're more than welcome to come here. We'll try to help you find a place to stay at your expense. <laughs> and, and, but we'll see what happens. But I'm fixing to move to the city of Don Lee. It's a large city, 250,000 people. You're more than welcome to come and join us volunteer basis. He said, I'll be there in December. Lo and behold, December, just after Christmas, he gets off the plane, goes to this town of Odeka, literally gets married the same day he gets into the town, puts his new wife and daughter into a bus, and then calls me and says, pick me up at the bus station. I'll be there in an hour. You know what, Pedro Avila... Went to the United States looking for the American dream. Today, Pedro Avila is the pastor of the New Life Baptist Church in Los Robles, the same city that, I, that we live in. God took a man looking for riches and gave him a purpose to live. For the same message, it wasn't anything you see on TV. It's just God working through His Word in the life of an ordinary person. And now he is probably one of the greatest soul owners I've ever met in my life. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.23, born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That word of God still exists and is still powerful. We don't need to change the message. It was a predictable gospel. The gospel is not difficult. It's difficult to believe because it's so simple. We want to earn everything. We want, to, uh, we want God to say and pat us on the back and say, good job. But that's not how we get saved. We get saved by the gospel. 
The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, who upholdeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Let me say, tell you this, there's people that would like to become powerful, but you can't become powerful without the predictable pattern of God's word. Let me say, share you with secondly, it was a persecuted ministry. It was a persecuted ministry. Not only a predictable ministry, it was a persecuted ministry. It was persecuted because of the unbelief of the people. Here the Bible says, but the Jews which believe not. <laughs> you know, the persecution came from the unbelief of the people. It's too easy. It's a false message. It must be ulterior motives for you preaching this gospel. It's too simple. Jonathan Edwards, if you study his story, was the pastor of the Congregational Church in Northampton, Massachusetts. He was a man of great influence during the first great revival in the United States during the 18th century. Many religious leaders sought him out to see his point of view on biblical matters. Men like George Whitfield, etc. But even with a man with such national influence, had those who criticized him. When he preached in his church that about the change in lifestyles that have to be accompanied by the gospel, and then it must be show, and then it must show one must show the fruit of repentance of those who sought Christ. The same members of the church were those that called for his resignation. But the man of God would not be quieted. Soon after he was asked to resign, the same leaders that had removed him from his pastoral position, quickly came publicly to ask him forgiveness, confessing that his actions, that their actions were sinful. In the end, Pastor Edwards became the president of Princeton University, where in that time, in that ep epic of life, many, many future pastors were trained. I, I, I can honestly say in Honduras, we haven't experienced too much persecution. Paul did. We've experienced gangs. We've had some young people in our church that have been killed by gang members. But we have, per, on a personal level, never really experienced persecution. Let me tell you, I know it's coming one day. And the persecution will come from unbelievers. It will become because the Bible says of jealousy. They were jealous. The Bible says that many had believed God's word. And if you look, read about the story of the church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus experienced such rapid growth that it changed the commerce in the area. And the people that sold the, the silver idols were getting so upset and fraught with anger because these people were turning away from idols that they were selling. They, they, they charged the people and they, they got the people in an uproar and they kicked Paul out of Ephesus. Let me tell you, in third place, and finally, not only was it a predictable ministry, not only was it a persecuted ministry, finally, it was a powerful ministry. It was a powerful ministry. Can you imagine? Hey, these are the ones that turned the world upside down and they're here now. By admitting that these missionaries had turned the world upside down, they were testifying to the success of his ministry. 
News of how Christianity was growing in the world had reached many areas in the Roman Empire without Facebook, without social media. God's work was so powerful that neither persecution or opposition to the gospel could stop it. And I tell you tonight, God's, the gospel is still powerful. I was talking to Pastor earlier about the different restrictions that you guys had faced during the pandemic. We too had faced restrictions in the pandemic. Uh, a little bit worse than here. We just last Christmas finally got rid of the mask mandate in Honduras. Last Christmas. Hmm. <sighs> Couldn't go to the store without a mask on. I hated that. And uh, it, it was in the very beginning when everything was, nobody knew anything about the virus when it first came out. They literally shut the borders of the country. They shut everything down. The problem was I was not physically in the country when they decided to do that. I was stuck in California. Some lucky California wanted to steal my car. So they did. So I had flown back with my wife. This is only going to be a two-week trip. We'll go up, go back, we're done. Deal with the car situation. We get there, we deal with the car situation where our flight out is Tuesday. They shut the, they, no, our flight out is Thursday. They shut the country down on Tuesday. Problem is my wife and I are in California. My kids and my mother-in-law are stuck in Honduras. No flights in or out. And we're like, oh boy, we're in trouble. <laughs> it took till May to get a flight to get back to the country of Honduras. Now we get there and finally we find that the restrictions are really bad. No one is allowed into a grocery store that is under the age of 18. No one is allowed into the grocery store that's over 65. So they have a special time for you guys. You guys can come at 8 to 10 in the morning. That's it. My problem is my mother-in-law is 67. And my oldest boy at the time was 17. When are they supposed to go to the grocery store? My mother-in-law doesn't speak Spanish. Now, I have, I have to admit my son, Jordan, who's now 21-something-ish. I can't remember. I'm old. Um. My son doesn't know how to take no for an answer sometimes, so he argued with the security guard. <laughs> you let my grandmother in. You're going to let me in too because she can't speak. <laughs> they let him in. Um, they didn't want to argue with a gringo. Uh, but all those, and, and we're landing in this in the middle of May, and we're trying to do ministry. We go, we do our services online. We're having to record from three different spots because they have roadblocks in the city. You can't cross the roadblocks. The only way you can get out of your house is by your last digit. Like if your digit, if your driver's license ended in the number one, then you could get out Monday. If your driver's license ended in the number two, you could go out Tuesday and et cetera. Then slowly but surely they released the numbers and now it's one and two Monday, two and three and four. And, and it was a madhouse. So really certain days you could even go into the store. How are we supposed to do ministry in that? Everything shut down Saturday and Sunday. No grocery stores, no nothing. Everything shut down. Roadblocks, no movement, no circulation of cars. How are you supposed to minister in that? Well, the Word of God is powerful. We called the police commandant 
said, Mr. Commandant, I am the Presidential Honor Guard chaplain. <laughs> Pulling my card out. <laughs> we have a ministry here that we minister to some poor people in the city. and They don't have food. They don't have resources. And we need to minister to them. How can we do that? He said, let me tell you something. You guys have come and preached to us for the past six years. Why don't you do this? Get all of your leadership team, make them badges, put your church clearly on it, and I'll tell the officers not to stop you. So we were all going around in our cars with our badges. They'd stop us, see the badge. Oh, keep going, Pastor. We're not going to stop you. We're able to minister to them. And the blessings didn't stop there. Here in this country, here in the United States, they used to have a division of the police called DARE, D-A-R-E. Remember that? Gang prevention, they taught moral values to the children. You can't have moral values taught without the Bible. While we're preaching one day, the officer in charge of that division comes up and said, you know what, we're, we have a problem. We can't get our materials to teach moral values. We've noticed that you come every Wednesday and you preach to the police moral values out of the Bible. Do you have materials that we can use? I said, better than that, we've got a college with young people trained to do what you're doing. We actually had to sneak our college students back into the dorms. <laughs> and they said, can, you, can they go with us? Everybody's on lockdown. You can't go into the stores. And they're inviting us to go with them. So we sent our college students with them in our, we had a truck with, uh, we have a, a one-ton truck that we put, put benches in and, and all, the college students would go in there. The police would load up their bounce houses in our church truck. And then they would escort us in the police patrol cars to a village. The police would get out and on loudspeaker invite all the kids to come out of the house in spite of the lockdown because they have to do their job. And all the kids six feet apart Hundreds of kids. And then they say, these college kids want to give you a Bible story and, and give you a Bible. And then they'd step back and our college guys would go and preach the gospel to all the kids. The restrictions have listed, we still get to work with that group. In September, we had Day of the Child at our church, 180 kids. We had six uniformed police officers there helping in Day of the Child. They got to hear the gospel over and over again. Many of them have come to know Christ as a police officer, and we're so thankful for that. But you know what? i tell you what. The gospel is still powerful today. It's still powerful today. Today, we need its transforming power once again. Our world is in flux. We're unsure of what's going to happen. But one thing is for sure. The Word of God is still as powerful as it is today, as it was yesterday, and as it was during the lifetime of Paul. And I promise you that the Word of God can still turn the world upside down today. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? <clears throat> do we have to have a life that, do we want to have a life that turns our local world upside down? Do we have that kind of world? Do we have that kind of gospel in our life? Do we have a lifestyle where someone could accuse us of changing our community so much it doesn't require anything new? 
It requires being grounded and patterned after the solid, unchanging Word of God. The problem with us as Christians today is we know what the Bible says. No one has to tell us. Many times we refuse to take the step of patterning our life after the Word of God. So on a personal level, has your life been changed by being in contact with the gospel? It's amazing to see that how many people want the benefits of that kind of lifestyle, but they don't want the sacrifice that it requires. They want the family of the pastor, but they don't want to take the steps that the pastor took over decades to get there. If you want the sacrifice and the, and the persecution that may come along with it, people laugh at us. I get Hondurans all the time. Don't you miss the states? Nope, not a bit. Why? Man, so many of us want to go up there. Like, you know what? I already know what I need. I know what I want. I don't want what they have there. I want what God has for me here. I'm exactly where God wants me, and I'm the happiest person on the planet because I know where God wants me, what God wants me to do. And I might not have everything Bill Gates and them have, but I have what God wants me to have. And I can know that I can make a difference here through the power of the gospel. Can you say the same thing about your life? Are you happy and content with what the gospel has produced? If not, I challenge you. Align your life with the, with the gospel. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't look for stuff that's new. Look for stuff that is unchanging and base your life on that pattern. Let's all stand for a word of prayer this evening.